Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Okay, boss, it's time for some hockey therapy once again, so welcome back. I hope you're having a great day. This week's therapy session will withhold some prospect talk since we are going to take a look at next year's NHL rookie class, which is as full as Lena the Plug's inbox, if you know, you know so. Once we've dealt with all the recent NHL headlines, we will dive straight into prospect world and check out the big names that will be fighting for the Calder Trophy this upcoming season. Thank you for stopping by, it's always greatly appreciated and if you're looking to support this journey, head to episode description, press the follow button on every platform you can find from there and finally, leave a 5-star rating for the podcast, because you can do that even if your other hand would be occupied. It obviously would be weird if that was the case, but I ain't going to question your decision since you've already landed here. But those are the best ways to show your support and lastly, I hope you enjoy the next hour or so and next time you hang out with your buddies, don't forget to mention the show on the coffee table conference as well cause that always helps to spread the word amongst like-minded plugs. But I've rambled long enough already so let's just kick off the intro and head to our this week's circus performance. Without further ado, let's get go. Okay, bud. Hopefully you are down for some prospect talk, because this week's show is all about it. But like any other week, we will start things off with more time-sensitive topics, and this week the spotlight is once again going to be on the contract front. Surprise, surprise. So if you want to skip this part, timestamps can be found from the description, but obviously I would advise you to follow along just so that you don't happen to fall off the wagon right in the middle of the epicenter of next year's NHL season. But you know exactly what's best for yourself. So pretty much most of the past seven days consisted of just entry-level deals that were handed to each team's top prospects, and within that group of players we ended up seeing names Hansek, Cooley, Kovalenko, Gendron, Benson, and finally Savoie. And in this case we are talking about Chicago's 2022 third-round pick not Buffalo's first-round WHL magician. Alongside those, we also witnessed extension papers being handed to Sebastian Aho, Ben Myers, Etul Ostrinen, Filip Kureshev, and Ilya Samsonov, plus totally new signings by Carolina and Ottawa, Tony D'Angelo and Vladimir Tarasenko. Calgary signed their this summer 16th overall selection forward Samuel Hansek to a three-year ELC, but the expectation obviously is that he continues to pile up points in the WHL in the next coming years. Same goes with Samuel Savoie, who was Chicago's third-round pick in last year's entry draft, and the last two names to earn three-year sheets were Philly's seventh-round selection Alexis Gendron, who really picked up the pace offensively this year in the queue, and finished the year as the second-highest scorer in the entire league. And the final name, like I said, was Buffalo's recent top pick, Zach Benson. Only guy that separated himself from this bunch was Nikolai Kovalenko, who was signed to a two-year ELC, which will carry an 896k AAV, but since we are going to talk about him more later on in this episode, I'm going to leave it at that and move on to the extensions. That concern names Aho, 
Luostarinen, Kurashev, Samsonov and Myers. Ahor received an eight-year sheet from the Canes, which only surprised a handful of people on this planet, and although some may say that his new 9.75 million cap hit is a big overpayment, you gotta put into perspective the facts that first, he's been by far the most consistent player on their lineup at least three years in a row now, and once again carried their first line in this year's playoffs, and secondly, the fact that the cap ceiling is expected to rise in back-to-back years, so... At least in my mind, the AAV is deserved, and who else would you rather give those dollars in their lineup than Aho? Yeah, exactly. So critics, go touch some grass, and you can always compare his totals to Leafs players' postseason numbers. And by the way, Aho has still one year remaining on his 8.46 contract, so this new deal will kick in next summer, when for example Martin Ages and Seth Jarvis are due for pay raises. Florida, on the other hand, invested $9 million in Etu Luostarinen as they signed him to a three-year, $3 million AAV sheet. And just like Aho, his new deal will kick in next summer when his current $1.5 million deal expires. And in my mind, this is a great deal for both the player as well as the team since, first of all, the dollar value and the deal length won't handicap them trade-wise whatsoever. And second of all, since he has become a real check-of-all-trades for Paul Maurice, if he would have continued to drag up his offensive numbers, he more than likely would have needed to add a few more dollars into the deal to keep him long-term. So, in a sense, I see this as a deal for the Cats because he was terrific this year, and only now many people have awakened to the fact how crucial he has become for the Cats in the big picture. And obviously, I'm extremely happy for my former teammate, and I always hope that they get paid, so... In this case, I feel like he left few bucks on the table just to remain in Florida, but that's exactly what the contract negotiations are for. Filip Kureshev received a two-year contract extension from the Blackhawks last week, which will carry a 2.25 AAV, and honestly, I was a bit surprised when I saw the dollar value in the deal given his low point total from last year, but like I said previously, the Hawks have to spend the cash to be even cap compatible when the action starts. And finally, the Toronto Maple Leafs and their goaltender Ilya Samsonov came to a mutual agreement on the arbitration table as he was signed to a one-year contract extension carrying a 3.55 million annual cap hit, which lands pretty much right in between what both parties were looking for before heading into the contract arbitration talks. After this signing, the Leafs, though, are still over 12 million over the current cap limit, and while teams can be approximately 8 million over the cap in the course of the summer period, they are still 2 million over the allowed limit, even after addressing one big question mark, which we are going to talk about in just a minute. So, how GM Tree Living is going to deal with their current cap situation is a great question to ask, and I'll remain on watch to give you all the necessary details that are provided to me by the wonderful people in social media. So by the looks of it, Samsonov won't be their long-term option in net since he will be in UFA next summer, and given all the rumors surrounding their core four, I think GM Tree Living is just happy to have that off his table for now, so that he can put his mind into the next big question that will concern names Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. And just quick note before we address the free agent signings, the Avs also handed forward Ben Myers a one-year league minimum deal. And while some of you may wonder, 
why this guy even mentioned the plug in the same segment with these other guys. I must point out to you that he played 39 regular season games plus 6 playoff games for them, so he wasn't just a plug in their fourth line and actually was a respected member of the Avs squad this past year. But then we move on to signings front, and like I said, the two big names highlighting this segment will be defenseman Tony D'Angelo, who will make his return in rally this fall, plus Vladimir Tarasenko, who according to rumors declined offers from Carolina, Florida and San Jose to sign with the Senators, which isn't something you would expect to hear, but that's how the dice rolled this time around. So, if you haven't paid attention, I briefly mentioned in episode 80 D'Angelo's arrival in Carolina way before the Philly buyout even happened, and at the time I was quite nervous about the fact that I might have leaked false information because the move took pretty much two weeks to materialize, but at the end of the day, Kane's GM Don Waddell decided to bring him back instead of acquiring Eric Carlson to their third pairing, and here we are again, anxiously waiting for the first headlines to pop off. And I have to say that when I heard the first rumors about him heading back to Carolina, I thought that why would they acquire him back? Because they pretty much have their top six already figured out thanks to Jalen Chatfield's emergence as a dependable bottom-bearing option. But then I realized that they had Shane Gostisfier after the deadline and he was part of their third pairing. So then it hit me that he was aimed to be his replacement on the power play as well as on the third pairing shuffle. So now when you look at their projected lineup, you quickly notice how stacked their blue line is. So it makes more sense now and I feel like it's going to be a great fit since he isn't under the microscope each night as their first pairing defenseman and has more than likely Brady Shea on his side to plug up the defensive end. So I feel like we are about to witness his numbers climbing back up again and Kane's increasing their power play numbers tremendously after their most recent offseason acquisition. Meanwhile, I already covered the Sands front in the previous episode, so I'm not going to go into detail on the same aspects, and instead, I'm just going to focus on what I said about Pinto and Norris compensating offensively for the Bringett's departure, since in this case, you can also add in Tarasenko's numbers, because he's been dragging them up slowly, but surely after a few injury riddle campaigns. And after all, he's known for his goal-scoring ability, so I think the Sands are well off even without the Bringett on their top two lines while bottom six and overall defensive structure leave me wondering about few things, but since we have time to address those in later episodes, I'm going to leave it be and move on to the final three headlines from the NHL front that I feel need addressing before we head out to cover the main rookie class of 2024. So, first and foremost, I need to point out the fact that Calgary Flames will retire their former goaltender Mika Kiprosov's number 34 at the end half of the next year's NHL campaign. I totally forgot to point this out in last week's episode, but I just can't glance over this event given that the guy played 10 years in Calgary and won one Vesna trophy within that span, so needless to say, it's about time one of the best Finnish goaltenders ever gets the credit he deserves across the big ocean as well. And while we are on the topic of team legends, I have to bring up the biggest announcement from last week which came from Boston. As the team captain, six-time Selka winner, a Stanley Cup champion and an honorary Triple Gold Club member, Patrice Bergeron, announced his retirement from the sport. Needless to say, the guy will get his name into the Hockey Hall of Fame at some point in the fairly near future, and honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if they renamed the Selka Trophy to Berger Trophy since 
it has basically lived inside his trophy cabinet in recent years. And if you paid any attention to his career, you know exactly how crucial part he has been for the Bruins. So I don't think I need to pump his tires more than I have to since the guy is one of the best second round pulls ever when taking into account all the accolades he has collected throughout his NHL career. So all I want to say is thank you Patrice for your contributions and big congrats for such a successful NHL career. And this obviously massively affects Boston's future outlook since now their first line center is completely out of the picture and we still need to hear David Krejci's decision but since basically these two have walked hand in hand for most of their career I would assume that we hear similar news from Czechia as well which will turn the Bruins playoff odds to quite a whirlwind to be completely honest. And the last thing I want to point out is related to my previous point about the Leafs since just a couple of days ago we heard the news that Matt Murray was more than likely going to miss the entire 2023-2024 NHL season due to an injury which obviously sparked the rumor mill right then and there when knowing the current cap situation the Leafs are dealing with. And although I would love to add some fuel to the Flames, the fact is that he only dressed in 26 games this year and missed their entire postseason run, so I certainly ain't diving into that conspiracy pool head first because we know his injury history and how his last full NHL season was back in 2021 he represented Pittsburgh Penguins. So, financially... That will open up 6.25 million worth of cap space for the Leafs, which is very much needed, as I previously pointed out. And since pretty much the consensus was that Joseph Wall was going to be Sam Sonau's backup next year, this doesn't change the outlook that dramatically, if the rumors end up being true about his health concerns. But if in fact Murray ends up spending the entire season on the sidelines, or on his own sofa, that means that the Leafs would need to add at least one more attendee to their roster since Eric Shalgren, who played some games for them last year, headed to Newark this offseason, and all remaining netminders in their organization are under 22-year-olds, the only exception being Keith Petruselli, so don't act surprised when you see them adding Brian Elliott to their ranks in the coming weeks if no one else is willing to add his name to their locker room during the final portion of the offseason. But in case you want to entertain yourself by diving into Leafs conspiracy rabbit holes, go right ahead and do that if that is something that makes you happy. But when it comes to my take, I just can't see it even though there could be something to lean on. But when knowing the player and his background, I just don't feel the need to entertain that idea. And much rather would focus on moving past it to get to the thick of it when it comes to our this week's show. So as I said, that is all for this week. Nothing dramatic really happened except for the Bergeron retirement news. And if I didn't mention it already, the reason why the Canes were able to grab D'Angelo from the free agency was because of the fact that the Flyers decided to buy out the final year of his two-year $5 million contract. So all you special snowflakes who happen to live on Cap Friendly's website, just like I do. So no, I'm not disrespecting you, just pointing out the facts. We live in the same world, partner. We're more than likely questioning the facts, so just in case I forgot to mention it, I had to include it. And with that, we are ready to move on to the dessert or main course of this week's episode, however you want to see it. And like I promised, next we are about to head to ever so lovely Prospect World as the rookie class of 24 steps onto the plate this time. 
And the entire idea for this week's main topic honestly came up when I saw that Logan Cooley was signed to his ELC despite the rumors of him staying in the NCAA for another year or so. Purely because of it, I decided to take a closer look at next year's rookie class and notice that god damn, this one might be one of the most stacked ones in really, really long time. And for clarification, we are mainly just going to focus on the primary candidates that should be amongst the top names regarding next year's Calder race, and I'm already very aware of the fact that I'm going to miss more than two or three names in this episode that end up surprising us all, but just to minimize the chance of that happening, I've decided to implement a few honorable mentions on top of the top names just to add some spice into the mix, and just to get you more familiarized with the upcoming top names of these leagues we all love. So pretty much what I've done here is that I've made a list of top top names that I see as the runner-ups for the color. Then we are going to go down a notch and check the possible so-called dark horses. And lastly, we are going to check team-by-team situations regarding eligible color candidates. So we have quite a ways to go still. So hopefully you have refilled during the break and prepared your head into the trenches when it comes to rest of this week's episode. And by that, I certainly don't mean that this is going to be boring or anything, quite vice versa, or at least it should be that way. But more so, the pure amount of new players you have to transfer to your hard drive within the next 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how much I am to ramble this week. But that is going to be the X-ray. And lastly, for clarification, the limit for being color eligible is 25 games in the NHL, so... If your guy didn't appear on this list, the reason might be that he has surpassed the 25-game mark. Or purely, I just currently can't see them making a significant impact before lineups are finalized. And also speaking of which, remember that this is all speculation since if we wanted to get more accurate assessments, we would have to wait until the training camps have been finalized. But since we are here for purely due to entertainment purposes, we can let it fly while staying within reasonable grounds. So let's start going over the new chapter in my prospect diary before I talk you to sleep. So first is going to be the cast of names that I see as the cover boys when it comes to color race. And if you're not expecting to hear Conor Bedard's name within the next minute or so, you might want to check with the closest clinic because your head is clearly not in the right place. And please, don't take it personally because I know there's folks out there that get defended if the traffic lights don't turn to pink. So please, don't be one of those people. Much appreciated. But how I've done this is by narrowing down the top dogs to just eight names, plus one really, really intriguing guy whose name has already been mentioned in this week's episode. And then by broadening the search results to final 10 names that could have something to say when it comes to the best rookie of 2024 NHL season title. So the top eight will hold names Logan Cooley, Arizona Coyotes, Devon Levi, Buffalo Sabres, Jacob Pelletier, Calgary Flames, Connor Bedard, Chicago Blackhawks, Adam Fantilli, Columbus Blue Jackets, Frank Clark, LA Kings, Luke Evangelista, Nashville Predators, and lastly, Luke Hughes, New Jersey Devils. And the choker of this deck is going to be Colorado's Nikolai Kovalenko, and I'm going to explain all these picks in just a second, so keep your pants on still, because there are names that you haven't heard quite yet. And if that was the so-called A-plus class, if you want to call it that, 
the Basic A class will hold the remaining top names, Lucas Carlson and Olin Selweger Anaheim Ducks, Lucas Rusek Buffalo Sabres, Matthew Coronado and Dustin Wolf Calgary Flames, David Dierichek Columbus Blue Jackets, Simon Nemec New Jersey Devils, William Eklund San Jose Sharks, Shane Wright Seattle Kraken and last but not least Matthew Nice Toronto Maple Leafs. So now you can tear your Levi's if your favorite rookie didn't make the cut, but while you're screaming at me for not including that specific stud, I want to remind you that there's still one more chance of him being mentioned in this episode, because this was just a top-tier list, and I'm totally willing to hear suggestions, so throw those in my DMs if the final cut doesn't satisfy you at all. So let's get my DMs on fire, shall we? So... Let's get through my picks and reasons why they made it to the top instead of many, many others. First, we have Logan Cooley, who has become one of my favorite prospects in the entire NHL due to his ability to control the game when puck is on his tape and, of course, due to his elite skill level. So, like I said in my Instagram post, he has a real chance of reaching high point totals alongside Clayton Keller if he finds himself on their first power play unit and the first line. So that is basically my simple reasoning for him being in the top tier and at the end of the day it should be pretty obvious to anyone who has followed his career to this point that he deserves a spot in this class and if you don't think so, just check the 2023 U20 highlights and score sheet and you may want to change your opinion on this one. Next up we have the top goalie of this rookie class, Devon Levi, who already tipped his toes in the NHL water this past season and made a pretty firm statement with his performances in seven games for the Sabres. Needless to say, he still needs time to fully adjust to NHL level, and I certainly ain't expecting him to fight for Vesna next year, but given his elite numbers and skill set, there is no denying the fact that he should be able to steal their craze to himself rather quickly, because for a couple of years now, we waited for his arrival in the NHL scene and now that the moment is right in front of us, we can just enjoy the product that he brings, which will be filled with lots of ups and downs, no doubt about that. And since the Sabres have room for a standalone starter, I see Levi getting every chance possible to cement his spot in their blue paint this year and given that they have solidified their DN with few notable blue line additions, I would imagine him getting more support from his defensemen and this way, keeping the numbers above average throughout the entire year. And as you can probably sense from my cautious monologue here, I'm really hopeful on Levi's next year, but at the same time realize the struggles that every NHL goalie has to go through, so currently I don't see him as a clear-cut favorite to take home the color due to the path that most goalies take on the top level but certainly see him as one of the elite talents of next year's rookie class and thus I had to include him in hopes of him absolutely blowing the status quo out of the water like he's done throughout his whole junior career as an undersized goalie. Then we head across the US-Canada border and land in Calgary where we have our next victim, Mr. Jacob Pelletier, who as well tested the NHL water successfully under the watchful eye of Daryl Sutter. In 24 games, he was able to register 3 goals and 4 apples and played way better to what the numbers might suggest you. Meanwhile, he absolutely dominated the AHL level by putting up over point per game numbers in both the regular season as well as the playoffs, so 
Now that they have a clear void on the right wing position thanks to Joe Foley's departure and a new coach behind their bench, a guy like Pelletier could be seen on first-line duty from time to time, which could translate to a massive jump in his overall point total. And after all the guy has produced on every level he has played from QMJHL to World Juniors, so there are no clear indications of that changing, especially given the uncertainty related to Calgary's lineup, I'm ready to take a flyer on this guy and label him as one of the favorites to challenge the other top names for the Calder during next year's regular season. And one of the guys that he needs to beat next year is this year's unanimous number one selection, Connor Bedard, and at this point, I don't know if I really need to justify my pick since he's hands down one of the most hyped up prospects coming out of juniors and for a good reason, so much rather I would just focus on giving my goal prediction for his first chapter since everyone knows or at least should know what he brings to the table and that is record-breaking offensive skill set and an elite shot, so I'm going to go easy on him and set the bar to 35 tucks this year which could translate to at minimum 50 points, so Nothing too drastic at least at this point, but realistically, I wouldn't limit the point upside to just 50 points because if Taylor Hall stays healthy and he really plays a full 82 campaign, we could see a season where he reaches 60-point mark with ease because he's truly that talented. And maybe the outlook could be more optimistic if he played for a more competitive team, but I certainly ain't willing to blue ball him by saying that 60 is out of his reach because... I feel like he has the ability to carry that team's offense to a certain extent like McDavid did during his rookie campaign until injury ended his season prematurely. So, pretty much bring out the caviar and champagne, the table is pretty much set for his color season and I'm going to ask you just this one time to knock on wood yourself as well, just so that we don't end up seeing another McDavid-esque rookie season which could take away the flush from his future trophy cabinet. Next on our list, we have this year's Hobby Baker winner, Adam Fentilli, who, not that surprisingly, is amongst the top dogs of next year's rookie class. It is still in the air whether he will find his spot from their first or second line, but without a doubt, he will get his chance to prove himself alongside both Patrick Kleine and Johnny Goodrow. So, with top six minutes and power play time, we should anticipate him staying near the top scoring wise when it comes to top point getters of next year's class. So pretty obvious choice, elite skill and a future first-line center for the Jackets doesn't need that much reasoning when it comes to his selection. Moving on, and next we bump into the first defensive option of this listing, and his name is Brent Clark, who already made his NHL debut for the Kings this past season. But just after nine games in the bright lights, he was sent back to OHL due to him not being eligible for AHL action, and... Right from the start, he began to dominate the action on the Canadian junior ice, which eventually led to him finishing the season as the fifth highest scoring defenseman in the entire OHL, with almost two points per game average, which is absolutely bonkers. So needless to say, now that Kings dealt Sean Walker to Philly and Sean Dursey to Arizona in order to find more space from their right side to their elite blue liner, he's going to get every opportunity to prove himself and to be amongst the cream of next year's color class. He won't get the first line power play minutes which are still reserved for Drew Doughty but if he gets regular top four minutes and Kings turn up to be one of the best teams in the west 
we could easily see him reaching 40 points next year and this way able him to challenge the other young guns on this list for the Calder Trophy at the end of the regular season. So definitely one of the top blue liners of next year's class and often shouldn't be a problem here since we just witnessed one of the most dominant performances from a blue liner on the OHL level. After Clark, we will stick with the Western Conference and to some, my next pick may come as a surprise, but hold on just a minute and let me explain why this guy is so high on my list despite the current uncertainty that surrounds the entire franchise. My next pick is going to be Nashville's Luke Evangelista, who just managed to qualify for this list thanks to a total of 24 NHL games this past year. And some of you might recall that I've been pumping these guys' tires already a couple of years now, and honestly, I've just been anxiously waiting for his breakthrough to the NHL scene, and pretty much that already happened this year in a miniature size, as he was thrusted to their NHL roster thanks to Nashville's multiple injuries and deadline activity. And when you collect 15 dots from 24 games on the next level, the expectations just kind of keep growing, so that's pretty much the reason why he's so highly ranked on my rookie list. Another factor that heavily affects my thinking is also the fact that Preds don't have that many players on the right side that could be classified as a top 6 option, so in case he steals the first line job for himself and ends up playing top 6 minutes for most of the year, it shouldn't be surprising to see him near the top when it comes to top scorers of next year's rookie class. He's still extremely underrated prospect in my eyes, partially thanks to Nashville Factor, but I guarantee you that we will soon start to see more headlines covering this guy because he is just that talented. He racked up 111 points in 62 OHL games back in 2022 and was almost a point-per-game player in the AHL in both the regular season as well as playoffs, so if Tommy Novak was outstanding for them this year, I expect Evangelista to be the next guy that breaks the sound barrier, no ifs or buts about it. So, an elite playmaker who will need some assistance from his linemates next year in order to fight for the color, but almost at this point I would say that he has surpassed former first-round pick Phil Tomasino on their depth chart, and therefore he will get the breaks he needs in order to become the next prolific winger for the retooling Predators franchise. And the final name of my top 8 is another home run blue line pick since he already passed the NHL test with flying colors during this year's NHL playoffs, and his name is Luke Hughes. And it shouldn't be that surprising to hear that he in my books is the number one blue liner of this class since he was dominant already on the NCAA level and looked poised once he made the jump to NHL ice, so now that the runaway is completely open for him in New Jersey. I feel like he's going to take off running and stay near the top for the entire 23-24 regular season when it comes to most productive rookies of next year's class. Elite skater, sharp passer who can carry the puck up the ice when he just decides to do so. And while this defensive game is still in progress like with most blue line prospects that make the jump to pro levels, he compensates it with his smooth skating and good positioning so it's obvious that we just saw the first taste of what's about to come in the future, so without questions, he will be one of the elite defensemen in this league for years to come, and the next great blue liner of the Devils has just begun his NHL journey, so Hughes will top off our top tier list of 2024 rookie class.
And like I said, the bonus pick for my top names for next year is Colorado's new signing Nikolai Kovalenko, who will make his NHL debut this year. And what makes him stand out from the crowd is the fact that he has proved his skills in the KHL already, and is the closest guy to resemble last year's top Russian import, Andrei Kuzmenko. So that is exactly why I have high hopes for his debut across the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. Another aspect that only amplifies my expectations is the fact that Avs currently have room in their top six due to Landis Cook's absence and Evan Rodriguez's departure to Florida. So, if he ends up impressing during the preseason, he could easily find himself on their top six alongside guys like McKinnon, Rantanen, Nitschuskin and Lehkonen, which eventually could translate to a pretty big point total, no doubt. And since Kuzmenko just proved that it is still possible to make shit happen straight out of KHL, Although there is a real possibility where Kovalenko fails to replicate what Kuzmenko just did in his rookie campaign, I like to approach these situations with optimism and therefore he's right up there with the rest of the top names, since his offensive gifts are undeniable. But that is my personal top end of next year's rookie class, but like I mentioned, we still got a few more names to go through, so don't go anywhere, we still got some unfinished business here. Then we move on to so-called A-class, where we find names Carlson, Selwager, Rusek, Coronado, Wolf, Jiricek, Nemec, Eklund, and Nice. So just like with our previous participants, I think there's a need for me to justify my picks to you, so that you can get on board with me. Am I right? Yeah. So let's just continue. First up, I'm just going to go over both our Ducks representatives, because... Why not? After all, both guys have some real upside, but are not locks to start their seasons in the big league. So first, when it comes to Carlson, we both probably know that there was a reason why the Ducks preferred him over Fantilli, and the fact that he just scored 25 points in 44 regular season games and added 9 points in 13 playoff games in arguably the best European league, at least to me, speaks volumes so why we wouldn't consider him as one of the top contenders for the Calder next year. Yeah, exactly. But while saying that, I also gotta point out that usually prospects who arrive in North America straight from Europe take some time to get adjusted to the smaller ice surface and faster pace, so that is exactly why I have some concerns about his Calder odds, but that certainly isn't because of anything that would be related to his overall skill set. Selweger, on the other hand, has quickly arised to the headlines thanks to his outstanding production numbers from World Juniors and the WHL. And due to his high offensive ceiling, many have listed him as one of the top candidates to steal the Calder, and rightfully so. But like with Carlson, I'm not that sure about the final outcome because he's a smaller guy and not that often you see a freshman defenseman with smaller frames burned out the gates once they leave the junior ranks except for a few exceptions, such as Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox. So that's why I wasn't willing to put him in the top category ahead of many others that have better cases for the Calder from this class of youngsters. And lastly, before we move on from Anaheim, I have to say that although there's a reasonable concern attached to Selweger and his Calder odds, I have to point out that it won't come down to lack of opportunity since the Ducks' decor is currently pretty wide open and guys like Jackson Lacombe Drew Hellison, Jamie Drysdale, and Selweger himself are all fighting for open spots on the opening night roster, so 
Ify ends up making the cut and reassures the Ducks front office that he's the guy for the job. The odds will jump quite drastically, so we'll see what the top six ends up looking like once the action starts later this year. Then we move on to Buffalo, who had few guys available for this job, but I ended up going with the guy that already showcased his skill set during this year's regular season, and it is Czech native Lukas Rusek. He only played in two games for the Sabres this year, but was able to record one goal and one assist in those while racking up impressive numbers in the AHL. And what eventually thrusted him past Yuri Kulic was the fact that he has played more pro games than Kulic and is almost five years older than him, so... While the production numbers for both guys were quite similar to each other, I decided to go with the more veteran name here, plus of course because of the fact that he's already familiar to their coaching staff from this year. And right now you might be asking, well, why have I even added a name like Rusik to the list since Buffalo's top 9 seems fairly strong as it is since it hasn't changed that drastically since last year. But if you are not aware, their second-slash-third-line winger Jack Quinn suffered an off-season injury and had to undergo surgery to repair his torn Achilles, so he will miss four to six months because of it, which leaves a hole on the right side. And also, Victor Olofsson's future in Buffalo is still in the cars due to dread rumors. It just begs the question if they end up facilitating a move this off-season to open up spots for both Kulic and Rusik for the upcoming season. So pretty much those aspects alone have raised Rusek to my notes, so we'll see which one of these checks ends up making it to the opening night roster, just like Quinn and Paterka did just last year. Next we have another double trouble on our hands as we come across names Matthew Coronado and Dustin Wolf. And some of you may be screaming right now since I haven't included one of the most dominant junior goalies to the A-plus list, but let me just make my case before you rip another pair of jeans to shreds. So the thing is that Flames still have both Markstrom and Vladar on their roster and while I fully believe that Vladar will either play the third fiddle in this scenario or get traded, Wolf won't just blatantly push Markstrom aside if nothing absolutely mind-boggling doesn't happen. And this doesn't mean that he wouldn't be capable of doing so but more so because Markstrom has a proven track record from the NHL and is signed until 2026 so... I would be really surprised if he just took over their crease like Binnington did when St. Louis came and took the Lord Stanley a couple years back. So what I'm trying to say here is that I'm not underestimating Wolf's capabilities whatsoever. If you are a frequent listener, you know exactly how much I love his game, but when knowing the fact that the Flames are aiming to return to playoff conversation, only thing pretty much pushing him to a starter role is if he ends up absolutely robbing Markstrom stat-wise, or if injuries happen, so those are the reasons why I haven't given as good odds for Wolf as I did to Buffalo's rep, Devon Levi. And when it comes to Coronado, simply the same principles apply to him which made Jacob Pelletier my number one option for the color from Calgary, which are first of all the fact that Calgary's opening night lineup is very much in question thanks to all the trade rumors and whatnot. And second of all, because new boss is standing behind their bench, which means that we don't know how much he will trust their young guns. So, even though he wasn't able to record any points in his NHL debut, his collegiate numbers speak for themselves, and even his World Championship performance was extremely convincing. So, I have big hopes for this right-handed sniper, and only Pelletier's prior experience pushed him ahead in their inner competition. 
Then we move back to Eastern Conference, where last summer sixth overall selection David Juricek is waiting for us. And I fully get if you would have put him in the top tier of next year's rookie class, but the fact just is that there isn't as much room on Blue Jackets Blue Line than last year, thanks to the arrivals of Ivan Provorov and especially Damon Severson, who will eat minutes from the rest of their top six. So the odds have certainly worsened quite a bit on Juricek's part from last offseason. But it isn't all gloom and doom for him though, since he's just coming off of his first year overseas and a convincing one, I might add, which held 38 points from 55 AHL games and 4 games on the top level, so while I have some doubts about him reaching the highest top of the rookie race, I certainly view him as one of the best blowliners of next year's patch. Especially his showings in the Monsters uniform have convinced me even more about his future upside, but I just feel like when we look at the rest of the top crop, we both can realize that it's a tough crowd to beat, especially if you aim to compete on the points department, and that fact alone has dropped him to the second level of future superstars that we are going through in this week's show. But like I said, there's no doubt about his future upside. It still is a productive two-way top pairing defenseman, and there certainly is a chance that he finds himself from their first pairing when the puck drops for the first time for a start of 2023-2024 NHL season. But I feel like even his teammate Fantilli has better odds for taking home the Calder, so in this case that puts him outside of the peak talents that will be battling away for the trophy, but I would certainly welcome his presence to the top if that ends up being the case. And while we are on the topic of future top pairing defensemen, we might just sprinkle in Simon Nemec's name as well, since these two have been on the same sheet of paper for two years now, and that won't change in the future either thanks to their last year's draft outcomes. And if Juricek's first year overseas was convincing one, same can be said about Nemec's rookie campaign since the Slovak was able to record 34 points in 65 AHL regular season games and added four markers to his score sheet from six playoff games, so he ain't that far from the NHL action either, if I dare to say so. And also, if Juricek was facing an uphill battle to carve himself a spot from Columbus's top six, same can be said about Nemec since the competition in New Jersey might be even harder thanks to Dougie Hamilton and John Marino. And while Severson packed his bags and headed to Columbus, which on paper opens up a spot for Nemec to make his case, you gotta remember that there's still Brendan Smith and Kevin Ball who want to play regular top six minutes, so it ain't going to be easy for this young Slovak to secure himself top six minutes on the Devil's blue line. And same words can also describe Nemec's future. Top 4 is almost guaranteed, but once again, I feel like the competition is just too tough for him to really push for the Calder next year. And while it wouldn't surprise me if both of these guys started their seasons up top, I also wouldn't be baffled by the fact if they get sent back to minors at some point next year since the NHL is really tough for young blue liners, and they just have started their careers on the other side of the pond, so patience is exactly what you need with these two right-handed blue line studs. Then we move on to San Jose, where Swedish forward William Eklund is ready to welcome us, and some of you might have been surprised by this selection, but opportunity is exactly what you need to make a lasting impression, and since San Jose has a boatload of room for their young guns to shine, Eklund in my paper should be the guy to shine the brightest, despite their awful outlook for another NHL campaign. This year, 54 AHL games, 41 points, plus 8 games in the show with 3 markers in his back pocket ain't too shabby. 
And next year, if he's planted alongside speedy Anthony Duclair and a great two-way centerman Thomas Hurdle, I feel like he has a chance to make a real mark on the rookie race, but that's all up to him at the end of the day. And of course, there are multiple variables in the play as well. For example, Eric Carlson's possible departure, which would hurt the team's overall offensive numbers. But if Eklund is finally ready to take the next step and keep his job on the top level, I feel like he will be one of the most productive forwards on their lineup without any questions. He's extremely skilled, responsible on both ends of the ice like most Swedes, and on top of all else, has the playmaking ability to assist his teammates in the offensive zone. So. The overall outlook in my eyes is quite juicy on his part, but a lot will depend on his supporting cast, which in the worst case could leave you on an island on worse nights. So upside is certainly there, but doubts about San Jose's next year is the real difference maker here. So let's just wait and see if the outcome doesn't end up being quite as drastic as I painted it to be months before the action even starts. And the final two names from the A-class are going to be Shane Wright from the Seattle Kraken and Toronto's own rookie candidate, Matthew Nice. And first and foremost, I have to say that these two possess some huge upside in their game, but overall team outlooks don't necessarily support their color fantasies, if I'm completely honest. Seattle's top nine hasn't changed since last year, and due to a terrific outcome, I don't expect sudden changes to it, especially when knowing how Dave Hackstall wants his team to play. And if Wright doesn't end up finding a role on their first three lines, he could soon find himself from Coachella Valley, just like he did at the start of 22-23 campaign. In the AHL, he was able to showcase his skills and play with his strengths, which translated to decent numbers from a rookie. But the upside here is that more than likely Kraken will get its fair share of injuries which will give him the opportunities to make his case, which could flip the script fairly quickly and force the team to make adjustments in order to make room for the last summer's top pick. So once again, the question will be, will there be enough space? Because it certainly won't come down to overall skills. He has plenty of that, so... He's going to be one of the names that I'm going to follow closely because I'm sure that their front office would love to see him on their NHL roster. But if things turn out like they did last fall, the best place for his development could be the AHL. And that is exactly why he isn't in the top tier of next year's rookie class. And finally, we have Mr. Nice who convinced the Leafs fans this year with his playoff performance, but... Even while having that on his belt, there are certain obstacles on his way to Calder, which mainly came there in the offseason, and those are Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. Not to mention Kalajar and Kroku played well alongside Matthews and Marner on their first line. So pretty much the setting is fairly similar to our previous case, but there's still this huge question mark hanging in the air, and it concerns their Swedish winger William Nylander who will be in UFA next summer, and the current asking price for his services is around 10 million mark, and therefore a possible departure has been the headline in Toronto's media and rightfully so, because the Leafs won't be able to keep four guys making over 10 million per season. Also, knowing the fact that Sheldon Keefe likes to shuffle his lineup quite a bit, that aspect alone should bring his stock up, and these two factors are the reasons why he isn't getting the first-class treatment for me. Bertuzzi is a lock for their left wing, and I would imagine that Domi is seated there as well, and like I said, Jarenkrok has good track record from the left side as well, so 
while the opportunity seemingly is there, it's still quite slim. And in the NHL, if you are not able to take that opportunity and run with it, you have to work your ass off to get another chance. So pretty much because of Toronto's current uncertain situation, I'm not willing to put all eggs in one basket and trust that Nicewell Semeni spot on their top two lines. So that's pretty much the reason why he ended up falling to the second basket. Because when I first started to narrow these names down, he was up there with the top guys. But after further inspection, I decided to fall back a bit and see where it will eventually lead me. So basically, I'm not taking anything away from Nice. And you guys know that I'm a huge fan of his game. And I think that he was terrific in its short stint. Plus, I fully trust that he will only improve next year now that he has gotten his first taste of NHL action. But just as I said, there's just too many question marks hanging around the Leafs currently that I'm not willing to just blindly put my faith on him absolutely taking over the first slash second line spot. And therefore, he will be the final name representing the top half of next year's rookie class. So those are pretty much my top names that I expect to be lurking in the color conversation throughout next year. But just as I promised, I still have few dark horse candidates in my breadbasket that I'm going to share with you today. And once again, I want to remind you that today's focus is on the actual Calder Trophy, not just the probability to break into NHL. So although some of these names might be nowhere near the top when it comes to points department, for example, I've listed them here because of certain factors that might increase their chances of being higher in the final Calder voting than what we could have expected. So just keep that in mind as I start to quickly go over the final names that still hold reasonable but very slim odds for taking home the trophy. So. Let's get to it. Anaheim, as I said, has few options, especially on their blue line. And although Carlson and Selweger are my top picks from Orange County, I would also like to shed some light on their goaltending position since, as we know, John Gibson has been made available. And although we haven't yet seen a trade involving him, it certainly doesn't mean that it won't happen, especially closer to the trade deadline. And because of it, their backup Lucas Dostal could become one guy that steals the spotlight on some nights if he sees more time between their pipes next year. He already played 19 games for them this past season and is highly regarded as their next starter, so it is better to keep your eyes on their situation because he could climb the color ladder quicker than expected if they end up changing their starter at some point next year. Jackson Lacombe is another name that you should keep your eyes on thanks to Anaheim's current blue line situation. While Jacob Perot is a complete question mark since his numbers dropped massively from previous year. But given his first round draft status, I wouldn't necessarily bury his future odds only because of one bad year. So we'll see what the Ducks lineup will look like on the opening night. Yotes have only one other guy besides Cooley, who in my mind realistically could put his name in the Calder raffle. And that is Josh Doan, who put up six points in 14 games in the AHL at the back half of the season. And while this is a bit of a stretch, I could easily see him making their lineup at some point and due to it, increase his chances of finding points on the top level alongside guys like Macelli and Genther, who by the way isn't eligible for Calder anymore, so that's why his name is the only one from Desert. Boston's opening night roster is pretty much in the wind at this point thanks to Bergeron's retirement announcement, so there could be spots open for young guys such as Matthew Poitras, Fabian Lissell, and Oscar Sten, in addition to more Hail Mary options, Beecher, Harrison, and Merkulov, but 
Only guys I could realistically see making some damage are the first two names because they still have some depth on the wings and they want their bottom six options to be more defense first players so from there you won't affect the outcome offensively that much. So all in all an intriguing setting in Boston and honestly a one that they haven't had to battle with for a rather long time so there's some upside there if for example Poitras or Lysel ends up making the cut from camp and secures himself a spot on their top six. Buffalo's only other representative at this point is Jiri Kulic and you already heard my reasoning for it when I talked about Lukas Rusek earlier on in this episode so there's not much that needs to be said about his odds since it was a pretty much a tale of two stories in this case and like I said we could end up seeing both of those guys on their lineup already at the start so I'm definitely not counting out Coolidge completely from the Calder race. While the only honorable mention in Calgary ends up being defenseman Jeremy Poirier who had a terrific season in the AHL for the Stockton Heat which featured 41 points in 69 regular season games plus 8 dots in 9 playoff games so that makes him my one of the more undercover picks for the color race and his odds will only climb up if Oliver Shillington is not ready to return to full NHL action since Michael Stone is now out of the question due to his retirement and Troy Stetcher decided to head elsewhere so there might be an open spot on their third pairing alongside Nikita Sadorov when the action starts in October. I've also been waiting for Connor Zary's name to appear on the Flames roster and after another terrific year with their farm team, his odds of making that become reality are higher than ever before. While Walker Dewar could be added to the list as well thanks to his strong performances during this year's campaign, but I just don't see as big of an offensive upside in him when compared to the other two forwards that stand ahead of him in the pecking order. Kane's lineup looks quite ready for playoffs already, so it's hard for me to find names that could absolutely steal themselves job on their first four lines, but if I had to throw in one name, I would certainly nominate Jameson Reese, who's been one of their more consistent performers on the AHL level. Hawks blue line almost at this point screams Kevin Korchinski's name, and if he ends up making the cut and ends up manning their first line pairing with Seth Jones, we could see him higher on the Calder race than what many might have anticipated. And another decent shout is their goalie prospect Jackson Stauber, who played six games for them this year and posted 2.81 goals against average and 0.911 save percentage in those. So, if they decide to inject some youth to their crease, he certainly is the one name I would keep my eyes on. Columbus's top options at this point should be pretty clear, but the third name that could make some noise on their roster is their new addition, Dimitri Vorankov, who will make his overseas debut this year. And I might as well throw in Stanislav Wozel's name as well since he had an outstanding year in the AHL this past year and also made his NHL debut so while being a total shot in the dark there's some momentum that should give him some leverage when competing against the other top names of this week's list. Many are also expecting Logan Stankoven to finally step into Dallas's opening night roster but I gotta say that the odds for that happening haven't gone up drastically since they just added Matt Duchesne and Greg Smith to the roster to fill up some remaining holes on their four lines. But if somehow he ends up slithering his way on their top nine due to injuries or something like that, I absolutely could see him taking his opportunity and making a case for himself to remain in the bright lights. But currently I don't see many openings for him and therefore 
I would expect him starting the season in the minors and making the big league later during the year when teams start to feel the injury bug crawling inside their pants. And while Wings have many options for the Calder race such as Söderblom, Kasper, Edvinson and Wallinder at the forefront, due to their most recent offseason additions, their next season's projections have felt quite a hit since, for example, the blue line isn't as wide open anymore and basically those guys would need to steal jobs for themselves to be on their opening night roster, so that alone isn't the easiest task to complete, but the same rules apply to these guys as well, which I pointed out with Stan Coven. Injuries are inevitability, and therefore, these guys could quickly soar up the Calder rankings if they end up seeing consistent minutes on the top flight. And to be completely honest, I could see one or two of these guys starting their season on their NHL lineup, but to remain there, they need to make shit happen and therefore I'm not totally willing to give huge odds for these guys to take home the Carter at this point. Oilers' only pick is going to be their former first-round selection Xavier Burgo, who had a decent rookie season in the AHL and I could imagine that the Oilers' front office would love to see him making the cut because they could use some additional firepower on their bottom six. And same also goes with Florida, whose lineup has been tough to break into, so while Mackie Samoskevich is one of my favorite right-handed prospects currently in the league, his chances of finding a steady stream of NHL ice time are very narrow, and that's why he finds himself from the honorable mentions list, rather than the top class. Mini has some names though that have some league-wide interest, and those are Brock Faber, who was dynamite for them during the playoffs, so... He's certainly one of the names that could easily slide to the A-tier category soon after the puck drops for the first time. And due to it, it was really hard for me to not include him in the top tier. While the other name that has some real upside is their goalie prospect Jesper Wallstedt, who made his case this year with their farm team Iowa Wild, but given their current goalie situation with Marc-Andre Fleury and Philip Gustafsson, it is really going to be tough for him to find a spot from the NHL level, but if he ends up doing it, that will force their GM Bill Guerin to make changes, which eventually will give him a decent shot at competing for the Calder, and that should be pretty obvious when taking a look at his track record all the way from Sweden to North America. And yeah, by the way, don't be surprised to see some youth on Wild's blue line since guys like Ryan O'Rourke, Damon Hunt and even Carson Lambos could take their first rights on the NHL ice next year due to the openings on their back end. Habs have some decent names on the board, but if they don't end up signing Lane Hudson to his ELC, the only name I could realistically see challenging for the Calder is Sean Farrell. Because even if David Reinbacher ends up making the cut out of camp, I don't expect huge numbers from him offensively, and that's why he isn't considered as one of my favorites, at least when it comes to color conversation. Nashville, though, has few intriguing names behind Evangelista, since Joachim Kemel ended up making noise once he transitioned from Europe to North American ice. And thanks to Nashville's uncertainty regarding their opening night roster, this Finnish sniper could take a top nine role for himself from the start if pieces start to fall in the right places. Meanwhile, Yaroslav Askarov's situation in their goalie rotation is another question mark heading into next season. Since his numbers certainly from the AHL create some buzz, but given that they have Soros as their standalone starter and Longinen as their backup who didn't post horrific numbers in his few starts, there is not much that he could ride with, especially when considering his overall color odds. But 
He's another name that shouldn't be forgotten, that's for sure. While pretty much the only name that I could realistically see on the Rangers opening night roster is Brendan Othman, who more than likely will see NHL minutes this year, so the only question that still remains is what he's going to do with those, because at this point it's his show to run and their bottom six could use a rugged physical forward like him, there's no doubt about that. Ottawa's only realistic color nominee is going to be Ridley Gregg, who made a strong case for himself this year with the Sens, but their recent additions have decreased his trophy odds, but long term, he's without a doubt going to be in their top 9 rotation thanks to his versatile playstyle. But as we land in Philly, we start to once again see a few more names, and in this case those are Bobby Brink, Tyson Forster, and Emil Andre. Needless to say, there's plenty of room for rookies on the Flyers lineup, and I believe that their new GM, Daniel Briere, wants to give their prospects as much ice time as humanly possible in order to speed up their rebuild. So, especially Forster is a name that I could hold close when it comes to color dark horses, since he was almost point per game during this year's NHL call up. While the situation is fairly similar in San Jose, where their lineup has some holes to be filled. And the top guys waiting on that doorstep are Thomas Bordello, Hendrik Thrun, and Shakir Mukamadoulin, alongside previously mentioned William Eklund. Bordello had a great rookie season in the AHL and he's got his feet wet again in few games up top, whereas Thrun also got his first taste of NHL action and performed well in the eight games he played for the Sharks. Mugamadoulin, though, was the only one out of this group of players that didn't see any action on the top level, but that certainly doesn't mean that he should be counted out completely from the Calder race since the Russian played 12 games for Barracuda this year and in those recorded 10 points, so given that the guy has already played two seasons in the KHL, his odds of landing a spot under top 6 are quite significant, and I'm really excited to see this towering defenseman on the Sharks' back end. Kraken also has few notable names that could flirt with NHL minutes, and in my books the names that have the best odds for breaking into their lineup alongside Wright are Riker Evans, who honestly at this point looks ready for NHL action and is one of the lesser known prospects in the league that should deserve more attention. Ty Cartier, who absolutely stole the show in the playoffs by recording three goals and two assists for the Kraken in 10 games, and even showed up in the highlight reel thanks to his heavy body check soul. His name could be stable to their fourth line if they need more versatility to their more defensive lines. And the final name that I've written in my notes is goalie Alesteska, who is a former Wilds fourth round selection from 2015, whose terrific showings in the Czech Extra Liga earned him a one year ELC from Kraken's GM Ron Francis. The backup role more than likely is reserved for Joey Decord, who the Kraken signed to a multi year extension earlier this summer, but if Steska ends up impressing in the AHL level, he could get his spotlight on the NHL ice as well, and thus, I keep my hopes up for this Czech netminder. And seemingly the hockey gods have listened to me since, if you can recall, a couple weeks back, I begged and plead for the Blues to let Joel Hofer be their backup next year. And after Thomas Grice's retirement news, that actually looks to be the case, and since Binnington's performances have gone down the drain quite recently. I feel like Hofer is in a position to steal the starting job from him and be in the Calder conversation if the Blues end up making somewhat of a comeback during next year's regular season. 
Another guy on their depth chart that you should be aware of is their former first round selection, Jagari Balduk, who ended his junior career by finishing fourth in the QMJHL scoring and thus deserves some attention if Blues are looking to add more youth to their ranks this upcoming season. Meanwhile, we all know that the Bolts are currently in a bit of a predicament with their lineup thanks to their cap situation, and that in fact should open the door for their AHL phantom Gange Gonchalves, whose NHL debut I've been waiting since the start of 2022-2023 campaign, so I would be really surprised if he wouldn't see any NHL action this year given his strong track record from the AHL. And also, since their backup role is fairly wide open, I could see their Swedish blue paint projector Hugo Alnefeld to see some minutes on the top level, especially now that he has full AHL season under his belt with respectable numbers. Leaf situation, like I said, is up in the air currently, and thanks to their recent additions, the available ice time projected for their young guns has gone down significantly. But if I would add one more name to compete for the Calder alongside Matthew Nice, it certainly would be their backup Joseph Wall, who already saw quite a lot of action during this year's campaign. So, if Samsonov's health becomes a concern, Wall should be ready to take his minutes and insert himself in the Calder race as one of the dark horses of this list. The Canucks as well have some wiggle room when it comes to minute allocation, so Wall names Ratu, Carlson and Seelaus more than likely won't be near the top when it comes to Calder competition. They could see significant minutes in the bright lights if the Canucks are willing to give more trust to their young players. Knight's notable Calder dark horse is definitely Pavel Dorofeyev, who was just signed to a one-year extension, and just like I mentioned in the previous episode, I see him replacing Riley Smith on their second line because he already proved this year that he has the tools needed to play big minutes alongside top players, so he's definitely one name that I'm going to follow closely this upcoming season. Additionally, since the Knights are known to battle with multiple injuries per season, I would expect to see Brendan Brisson on their lineup quite a lot next year. And since I'm a big fan of his game, I wish that we end up seeing him on the NHL ice more than in their farm system, and with that, we've arrived to the last two teams of this week's episode. Caps unfortunately don't have that many players that I could realistically see challenging for the Calder next year, but... Henrik Slapier and Ivan Mirosnichenko would be the names that I would keep a close eye on since, for starters, Lapierre has been carrying big expectations with him since getting drafted in the first round back in 2020. And after a decent AHL rookie campaign, the fans are expecting to see even bigger results from him as the Caps continue to retool their current aging roster. Mirosnichenko will make his North American debut this year, but Given that he doesn't have that much pro experience under his belt yet, the expectations for him are quite a lot smaller than on Lapierre's part. And the final name that I wanted to shout out at this point is Vincent Iorio, who made his NHL debut already this past year. And reason for the shoutout is that Caps have room on their blue line for a guy like Iorio, who has a pro-ready frame and plays responsibly on both ends of the ice. So, while he may not seriously compete for Calder next year, I'm a fan of his game and wanted to give a small spotlight for one of my more underappreciated NHL prospects. And finally, we arrive to Winnipeg, who doesn't have any significant Calder candidates, at least in my point of view, but guys like Brad Lambert and Chess Lucius could surprise some people if they make the cut after training camp. So, since the Jets are starting to inject more youth to their lineup, 
those two names should be the ones that compete for the open spots on their opening night roster this year. And with that, we've arrived to the end of our next year's Calder candidate list. And once again, the episode became to be longer than I first expected. But that is exactly what happens when you give me the option to speak about future top talents of the NHL. Let me know which players belong to your own top tier of next year's Calder race. And if you would have replaced someone on my list with one of your own picks, let me hear that as well, since I would be really interested in hearing your thoughts and especially what are the reasons behind your selection. I hope you enjoyed. I can honestly confess that I always enjoy talking about prospects so at least for me this episode was fun to make but pretty much that is all I have to say for this week. Like I said in the beginning, check the links from the description and leave some love for the show on both Spotify as well as IG and TikTok. It's once again time for me to shine off for this week, so have an awesome week, buddy. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.